0: So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com/slash credit card.
1: US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome into the RotoWire NFL podcast. Today is Thursday, February 4th. I'm your host, John McCagney, joined as always by Mario Puig. It is Super Bowl week, folks. It is officially here, the big game, just a few days away. So Mario and I are going to attack that game from all angles, breaking it down on both sides. Chiefs, Bucks, you know what it is. We are going to dive deep into that, of course. Um, and then we are also going to be getting into some of the latest news and notes from around the league. That includes things like the big blockbuster trade between the Rams and the Lions that took place over the weekend and also the latest on the Carson Wentz saga, which continues to be ongoing in Philadelphia. But Mario, leading things off here, how are you feeling? How are you feeling about this Super Bowl?
0: Bad, John. It's cold outside. It's snowing. It's going to get a polar vortex, I understand, in a couple days. Tom Brady's probably going to win a Super Bowl at age 43 at a, at a home field where his minions, his his dark servants of uh, the, the infernal realms can join in hands around him and, and praise him to the horror of all humanity. But uh, aside from that, I'm thinking it's okay. It's uh, it's like, uh, you know, got some programs that I can watch. Um, Maybe do a showdown slate, betting on uh, whatever the most miserable outcomes might look like. So hopefully I can get some treats as a consolation prize. Um, but otherwise, I'm just kind of, um, I don't know. I started playing Skyrim recently. Uh, what are you up to, John? How's it going?
1: Ah. Uh, yeah, about the same. Obviously we're both in Madison, so as I sit here, I'm looking at the snow come down, uh, from my, from my apartment window, and then we got, uh, we got that deep freeze coming up this weekend, akin to what we had a couple of years back, where despite living in a relatively new building, the inside of my windows had like an inch of ice accumulation just because it was so cold out. Looking forward to that this weekend, and while I'm bracing for that, of course, uh, the Super Bowl will be going on on sunday so got that to look forward to uh just kind of exhausted my uh one of one avenue of, of program watching i rewatched um all of true detective season one le- this past oh, weekend man. and uh that's, yeah, that's I'm, so I'm still riding high. just unbelievable yeah man you
0: you saw you saw like that that one season of that show makes you see the face of uh like the origin of sin and like uh it it, it makes you understand reality in, in a way that shows normally aren't allowed to. And uh of course it also perfectly carries a lot of real life parallels uh to to names and figures that we, we can apply to the to the characters in the shows and it, it helps I think uh put reality in a helpful context that otherwise we get denied by you know most mainstream media.
1: Just as as Russ Cole said at the end of the second episode, when he uh, uncovers that painting in the church, sometimes you feel like you're missing everything, and other times it feels like you're mainlining the secret truths of the universe. And uh, that, that's how I'm feeling right now, um, especially as your
0: only mainlining truth on this
1: uh, this podcast. Yep. So that that's what we want to imbue on the listeners right off the bat, and of course. Let's get into some truth. Let's get into uh, our opinions on how the Super Bowl is going to play out, which by proxy is doctrine, is dogma, is truth. Um, So, again, we got a matchup here between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs. The line has been pretty steady throughout since opening. Uh, We got the Chiefs trading at at minus three now. It it opened at three and a half. It's kind of bounced between with that half point, depending on, on which books um you're looking at um in terms of the volume of, of bets um according to ESPN David Purdom had had an article this morning that um the bulk of the money is still on Kansas City despite a couple of whales uh putting down some like huge multi-million dollar bets um that that uh mattress firm guy from from Houston that that put a ton of money on the um Houston Astros in 2019 put a bunch of money on the Buccaneers money line so hopefully um, he kind of
0: is that mattress, that, uh, Mac or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So hopefully like it's a sign that, uh, you know, by his backing of the Buccaneers that that, that could seal their, their doom one way or the other. I'm sorry to Bucks fans. Uh, again, I'm just, uh, you know, not the biggest, it's not personal
0: fan. with the bucks fans. No.
1: Like sometimes Satan takes over your team and you're, you're not a, you're not a co-owner. You can't do it's anything so about long it. long for the ride. But, yeah. um, Again, hitting those numbers, eighty-two um, percent of the money, according to uh, William Hill, um, has been bet on the uh, Kansas City uh, side of of the spread. So, wow! Yeah, that that is a pretty That's, staggering. Uh,
0: yeah, that makes me feel even worse, John. Like I, I'm, I'm getting bad vibes going into the weekend, and these things make me feel that much worse because I'm, I'm only looking on covers, but it's something similar. It's like they're showing fifty-eight percent of the volume on the Chiefs, and yet the spread is going down from three and a half to three. So uh there's – in multiple venues we can observe people who have more money than others and presumably have gotten some of their more money than others by winning bets that those said others have lost in the past. They seem to be pretty much in agreement on this. Like it doesn't seem like there's any big money people going at the Chiefs really.
1: No, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, it, we, we've drawn this parallel before, but it, it does feel a little bit like that old, uh, South Park episode from the first season when, when Jesus and Satan were were boxing. And, uh, it was like a thousand to zero was the number on, <laughs> like, if you put zero dollars on Jesus, you win a thousand dollars type of thing. Um, and everyone, of course, was backing the, uh, you know. Well, in this case, uh, the
0: town folk are betting on Jesus, which, uh, you know, they, they, they should—I don't know—they they, should—they should be doing that. But uh, Satan is actually going to win in this case, and uh, you know, just give give all those rich guys more money, and uh, Tom Brady and a desperately needed Super Bowl win.
1: Yep. Age forty-three, right? Like you said, what's four he's times three? He's only played Mario?
0: in like uh, he's only played in like forty-eight playoff games. So you'd
1: hate to see him lose this in his old age. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. And, and like I was just saying, four times three is twelve. Twelve is the number he wears. Um, it, it's all adding up.
0: Oh, Those you're seeing us. the yellow kings. You're seeing the yellow kings uh, sign, insignia in the sky right now.
1: Yes, Raymond Raymond James Stadium is Carcosa. It is. Yes, actually there it is so right, there. it's not regionally inappropriate it's it's actually pretty much right so. see exactly so and I, I again we are mainlining the universal truth but let's get down to it let's get down to brass tacks so why do you think that the that you know the, if you were someone with seven figures to to toss on a bet what would steer you towards the Bucks over a Chiefs team that, you know, is the defending Super Bowl champions, has the best player on the planet right now in Patrick Mahomes? Um, you know, what, what is it exactly that, that you think w- would be driving people towards siding with the Bucks here? I think it's mostly just the offensive line. Just occurred. It's one thing to – have
0: you know a few injuries on your offensive line or be missing like one one guy over the course of the year but they lost o- osa back in like week three or whatever which was already a big loss in its own um but the- and then they also lost uh for the COVID. well not so much the COVID opt-out as much as uh lauren duvarney Tardif actually w- was going to canada to treat people with COVID. so that's two starters down eric fisher is out at arguably the most important position so that's three starters out and that's a lot. That's a lot to lose against any defense, and Tampa Bay has firepower in its front seven. I'm not even so much thinking about the vita Vea comeback, but that does matter uh, yes. for the run defense, but it doesn't really change the pass rush. The pass rush is scary because it has Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett, both of whom have been Kind of all pro level productive the past two years. I know Pierre Paul hasn't had uh, he didn't have that 20 sack season that Barrett did, uh, but he also played fewer snaps. And over the past two years, he's been reliably producing like a sack and a half per 100 snaps. Which as a starter, that basically makes him like a 12, 14, 15 sack kind of guy. He's been that way the past two years. They got hot against Green Bay, of course, and David Bakhtiari was out for that game. Not to say it would have gone differently if he were in, but you could see in Green Bay's case, their decline in, uh, the, the tackle production, the tackle quality of play uh, on the left side probably had something to do with Barrett and, and Pierre Paul both going nuts in that game. So you look at the Chiefs and think like, oh, this, this looks like something similar. They, Eric Fisher isn't as good as Eric, as a, as Bactiari, my, my, my opinion, but going from Eric Fisher to a line that Already had to replace two starters. It's probably, and Schwartz, it's like a too, snowballing right? kind of risk. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. What? And, uh, is Mitchell Schwartz also out? Is that right? Or? Yeah, there's, there might be something like that too. Like, it's bad. He's playing, like, Mahomes is playing with a, a backup offensive line. That's
1: bad.
0: Right. Yeah, it's bad. And I don't, so I don't personally consider it like a, a knockout kind of thing. I'm, but I can't really. I can't really give you a good argument. I can't give you a substantive argument as to why I'm kind of just taking a leap of faith that there's this sort of thing, this sort of threshold that you can tip in an NFL offense where if you have a certain quarterback, probably a quarterback with a big arm and the ability to to scramble at the very least, but Mahomes can run Uh, he's like, he's a legitimate runner. If he needs to be, he just, he just almost never needs to be. Uh, but I think if you have a quarterback who is good enough at scrambling and enough of a big play threat downfield with their arm, I think there's this current, this, the current reality of playing defense in the NFL is that you just can't really rush that guy. Uh, certainly you can't blitz him, but even, even the guys like Pierre Paul and Shaq Barrett, and they, they do not need any help. Um, but like them going against those backups, I can, I can understand why you would think like, you know, these are two all pros going against these two guys who might not be in the league after the Super Bowl. Like this is, you might think that's a no, that's no question. They're just going to rock right there, but there's some risk to so much as even letting your edge rushers cut loose on the edge because Mahomes, you need to have like a, you still need to keep like a spy or a robber on him. And it's hard to have a spy or a robber on him if you're, uh, If you're appropriately dealing with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey downfield, it's like you have to put two safeties deep to stop the Tyreek Hill just game over threat. And let's say you put the two safeties over the top and you you neutralize that. Okay, okay, great. Now we got Travis Kelsey we got to deal with. We're gonna have to do something special there too. So that's probably your robber right there. You probably don't have a spy because you're using him toward Kelsey. Um, And if you just if you let your edge rushers just go totally wild and don't tell them to have a containment emphasis, then you risk Mahomes breaking the pocket. And it's, it's not, it's not as easy as you would think to just keep all of that in front of you as a defense. It's like, that's, it's just, it's kind of taxing as the defense to even get to the point where you're like, okay, you four, like we're not even, gonna, we're not even talking about blitzing, but just saying like you four, go ahead and chase the quarterback. Like you still can't really say that. You have to say something more like, okay, guys, We'd really like a sack here, but we have to emphasize that you cannot let him get outside of you either. So be a little bit more careful than usual. And stuff like that can kind of add up, like having to tell your guys be a little more careful. Like you can see when a defense doesn't respect the threat posed by an offense, mm-hmm. uh, namely in that the results usually run away in the defense's favor. Once they stop respecting you, they can start selling out against you. And once they sell out against you... It's not the same game as of football as it is for the other quarterback. So it's like you, you can, they have Mahomes in, in like the absolute best case scenario that a defense could have him. It just isn't guaranteed to matter. And it's, it's not beholden to any past precedent, really. It's, it's not, um, like I think you can observe that dynamic a little bit already with the Chiefs line, but also especially in Buffalo with Josh Allen, like the running threat that he poses and the big play deep that, that he threatens. Makes these plays where you, it seems like the defense literally is not trying to rush him, and in some cases that's kind of actually what's going on. It's like it's not that aside from Deion Dawkins, like they don't even really have a good offensive like a really true standout, and yet their offensive line pass blocking results always are standout quality, and I think that's that's something that's still a threat there. But the 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 issue is. You know, Pierre Paul and Barrett are very good. It's not like they're just some version of decent. And those guys that are playing, it's like I don't even know who they are. It's like Remmers is, I guess, one of them, but like he's he, he was like a backup for what like the Vikings two years ago or something mm-hmm. like that. Like these are not guys you want on the field going against any starter level defender, let alone Barrett and uh, Pierre Paul. So it's an interesting question. Like I, I think that's what I think that's the the tension that the people who are betting on Tampa Bay are looking at. I just don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Mahomes loses. Like I think, I think if, uh, if, if Mahomes is Mahomes, it's just not that easy to get a pass rush going. Like you have to confuse him somewhat, uh, you have to get him spending time on the play thinking about things. And we haven't seen anyone do that except for maybe like, I guess there was that one weird Detroit game a couple of years ago and like Vic Fangio a couple times has had Mahomes, uh, a, a little bit flustered. But Todd Bowles, the first time again in these two, in the first time of this matchup, uh, of course called that ill-fated man coverage, press man coverage that Tyreek Hill just took a torch yeah, 200, to. 200,
1: like, 200 yards in the first quarter.
0: Right. It's like no one has ever gotten rocked as bad as the Buccaneers did in that first <laughs> quarter. But the other thing is, it's like if they, if they go to a zone defense, which I think they have to. I mean, if if they call the same defense that they did the first time around, they're basically going to get the same result, even it, no matter how bad those offensive linemen are. That's just that's just not a competitive defense. To, right, and, and, to call like, this the,
1: and this time, the Chiefs won't score just 10 points the rest of the game after the first quarter. Like, they, that would continue. Yes, that first game was a blowout, and anyone who looks at it
0: otherwise is misunderstanding. But I do think that, that was such an obviously bad idea going in that I didn't consider it that indicative of the Buccaneers' defense. Like, Todd Bowles screwed up, yes, but he's not a moron. He's not going to do the same thing two times. And if they had called a different-looking defense, they would have gotten better results. But they just had to. You can't call it worse than they did. True, right? going in. So, uh, But if you call zone defenses, it's not like everybody just – it's not like everybody, uh, is just screwing up, making bad decisions against Mahomes all this time. It's, there's no right answer is the general problem. And if you want to go with the zone, then, um, y- you know, you contain him as a rushing threat, but you give him all these guys that he's, he's so good at improvising, you know, and it's like he, he, he makes enough effortless plays on, on improvised looks that the zones don't, like you cover the big play threat in these zones, yes, but you give him too much time and too easy of a of a. He figures out where guys are going eventually, and then he just works with these guys. Like, okay, we'll run to the free space, and and they they improvise really well on those option routes. So it those those pass rushers could get there, yes, and Tampa could put those pass rushers in good position by calling effective zones rather than the the helpless man coverages they did the first time. But it's it's not like. Like if if it, if it were that easy to find the solution to Mahomes, someone would have done it already. And these corners are still vulnerable to these receivers. Like I don't know what's going on with Sammy Watkins or whatever, but none of them can run with Tyreek even a little bit. Like Jamel Dean is the fastest corner they have, but he's better built to cover like a Kenny Galladay kind of guy, like a bit someone who's big, like six two two twenty, like him. Because if he has to go against a five nine and a half, one hundred and eighty pounder, like Tyreek Hill. It's like, he can probably keep up with Hill in a 40 yard dash pretty good, but he can't run with them on a post route. Like, he can't run a, he can't mirror him, uh, over the course of a route. Like, the speed gets wiped off the table because of that fact. So, like, these guys can't cover him, and I think they can't cover Mikul either. Travis Kelsey has been automatic in every single game, literally every single game where a team does the cover too high to re- to remove the Tyreek Hill uh, 250 yard first quarter. Every single game where the defense has played that way, Kelsey has gone almost automatically for, like, 10 catches, 120 yards. So those those all, to me, make me think Kansas City should still be safely favored. I just think that between that offensive line risk, even if it is managed – uh, if there's any additional, if there's weird weather in Tampa Bay, like if it, if it rains and it forces the teams to turn to the ground, then I don't know what Kansas City can do in that case because okay. no one can run on Tampa Bay, including Kansas City. And if you have to run in this game, Tampa wins.
1: Yes. No, that, that's, a, that's a great way of putting it. I mean, the, the first time out and, and game flow, you know, that it's going to be a different game flow this time than it was the the first go-round. But, I mean, the the Chiefs were able to muster 87 total rushing yards on, on 20 attempts, which is it bears out to be pretty good. But, I mean, Edwards Hilaire was bottled up. Re- really, I think Mahomes in his 17-yard run in that one kind of did a lot of the heavy lifting. No other uh, run went for more than 10 yards, I don't think. So, um, yeah, I don't think that K- Kansas City is definitely going to be in trouble if they have to turn to the run game. I don't think they will just kind of because they have Patrick Mahomes and because – the, the way that the offensive line is you can't expect them to dominate the, you know, the point of attack to get that rolling really, but I guess it, my, my question for you, um, in talking about the, you know, the, the damned if you do, damned if you don't way of playing, uh, the Chiefs and, and, you know, this time you do figure that, uh, the Bucks are going to have a much better containment plan for for Tyree Kill, and you and you mentioned, of course, astutely that you know Travis Kelsey. That usually becomes Kelsey time, where where he's able to just absolutely just eviscerate teams that that are going soft over the middle and up the seams, that sort of thing. But do you think that these offensive line injuries and deficiencies for the Chiefs, plus that insane pass rushing threat that that the Bucks do pose, and it's worth noting that that um you know. In terms of like getting a read on the public, I think Shaquille Barrett is like a top five, uh, Super Bowl MVP bet right now because I think a lot of the thinking is that he's going to be able to get home against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So do you think that maybe there's a chance that, that Kelsey, um, is Used a little bit more as a blocker this time around, or what? Or what is the Chiefs' way of of really solving the the pass rush in a way that that doesn't involve you know miscasting Travis Kelsey as a blocker? Not not that he's a bad blocker, but you know you like him better as a, as a pass catcher, of course.
0: Yeah, he's he's not going to block, I don't think much at all. And in, and whenever it looks like Kelsey's blocking, especially on a pass pass play, of course, where he's blocking in line. You have to assume that it's a screen. You have to assume that they're that they're faking a block look to do a tight end shovel pass kind of thing to Kelsey on that play because he, he functions as a receiver. He's he's like a big slot receiver. Uh, he can he can line up outside. Uh, like I, I think it was on the left side, he ran um, against the Browns on that Denzel Ward play, and it seemed like Ward was shadowing him on that play and he just, you know, he showed you can't, you can't cover Kelsey with a corner and press man that, that won't really work. You have to kind of guess where he's going with the route and sit where he's going and have guys in that part of the field. And, uh, it's, it's not something that I think any defense can deal with. Um, like they can't address it rather unless they're keeping one of those safeties back from the two deep. And if you don't run it too deep, they'll just put two corner threats on either side and one of them's Tyree Kill and on some of those plays it was like the safety just started r- runs toward Hill like at the snap and still doesn't get there in time. Like, that's the kind of risk that you have with, with Tyree Hill and Mahomes. And so you have to keep the two safeties high so that the safety doesn't have to run. You need the safety there wherever, where, whatever part of the field that Hill is in, you need the safety over the top. And you can only do that with two safeties at all times. So unless you change that detail, I don't know what anyone can really do about Kelsey other than sack the quarterback first. And it's not like these plays always take a long time. And in the, in the cases where they do take a long time, you can't just assume that Mahomes will get less time to throw in this setting because he extends those plays on the basis of his skills. You know, it's not—it's right. not like it's not like oh, but usually defenses don't think to try to sack him here, and, and that's you know, forty percent of Kelsey's plays take longer than two two and a half seconds to catch, and they won't have that. It's like that might be true, but you can't assume it's true because this has never been an oversight in the past. There are structural explanations about why defenses can't do better than they have.
1: Yeah, like uh, you know, it's it's something that that Liss w- was saying going into into last season w- when, apparently, I guess there there was a faction of people that that thought that Mahomes w- was due to re- regress going into the 2019 season after you know setting the world ablaze his first uh season of playing, and it's like you, you just can't regress Mahomes to the to the average, you know, like it, you have to look at it a little bit deeper. So so like you were saying there, like. Uh You know, the, these things that generally, like in a general sense, these conditions would have a bad impact on the quarterback. You know, if, if we're playing behind bad offensive tackles and you have a great pass rush coming at you. But it doesn't it's not going to affect Mahomes the same way.
0: Right. I mean, it could. All I really mean to say is like we're operating in kind of. As you often are with Mahomes, you're kind of operating in an unprecedented territory. There's never been a player like him. There's never been an offense like this Chiefs one. And it might be true to say something like Mahomes' throws on these types of plays take this many seconds from snap to throw. And, and, you know, the the Buccaneers only leave this much uh, time from snap to throw. So those plays can't happen. It's like everything that Mahomes does is an outlier, basically. And just because something's unprecedented doesn't really mean anything in his case. Like, it means something in a, some macro analysis of some kind, but this is a micro analysis. There is there is no broader field that we're handling. It's just the Chiefs, and, and there's no comparison to them. Everything they do is on the cutting edge, and this game is just going to be kind of like a further venture into, you know, the cutting edge. It's like this is the edge being cut in real time.
1: Yep. I, I like how you said that. So... Um, yeah, I think that that rounds it out pretty well as far as as the Chiefs are concerned. We'll we'll circle back on, on some you know like specific player projections here in, in a little bit. But let, let's talk about when the Buccaneers have the ball. Um, what do the Chiefs do to stop them? Where where do the advantages lie um, on either side when, when the Bucks have the ball?
0: So I still am picking the Chiefs to win this unless unless it sounds like it's just going to rain a lot or be windy in Tampa, in which case I would like things more for Tampa uh, part of why I'm still on Kansas city is because I think everybody underestimates how good their defense is. I That's think people, true. and I think people overestimate how specifically good Brady is like Brady is something close to all knowing as a quarterback. And he, he perfectly exploits uh, these, these advantageous setups that he gets, but so much of the advantages that he's gotten this year have to do with kind of like what his offensive line gives him and what these great receivers give him. And, I don't think you can expect them to get their usual returns because this Chiefs defense is really, I think probably like top five in the league. And I don't see people give it that level of respect because of things like, you know, giving up 4.8 yards per carry and things like that. And I think people get the sense that the Chiefs are just kind of like an overachieving defense at best, like a stopgap kind of thing. Um, largely because they, I mean, I know Tyron Matthews is a big name and I know Chris Jones is a pretty big name, but a, I don't think people really give Chris Jones as much credit as they should. And I understand why it's like, he's, he's kind of a one of a kind player. There's no, there's no understanding of what he is that can be, that can reference like a prior case. Uh, so when people see him, I, I don't think they know him much more for just than kind of like the highlight results that he has. But like that guy is a player who changes games. And I, I think like him being in the middle uh, I guess the edge rushers like Frank Clark's just kind of like whatever. Uh They're not mm. great or anything, but the scheme that Steve Spagnuolo is calling is spectacular. And I didn't see this coming for this guy. I, I, or like a couple of years ago, when they hired him, I figured he was just kind of like you know some run of the mill kind of like you know he he had that run with the the, the, Giants. the Giants of course, and they did good. But he was calling a defense that he doesn't really call now. He's he's him and Andy, Andy uh, him and Andy Reid have both undergone huge transformations as coaches since when they first came up. And I don't see people capturing that history and considering like the significance of it exactly. But Spagnuolo had sort of a light go on and he, he, he's, he's seen the truth and he's, he's really locked in and I don't see him getting much credit for it. But that scheme that they have is great. We've talked about it a little bit. It's like they have the two outside corners, the bumper corners kind of doing like cover three stuff. And they got Trevarius Ward, who's like 6'1", 210. Runs like a low 4-4, he's 40 inch vertical. He's really good at defending the sidelines and really good pertinently for a guy like, I think, Mike Evans. Like, I think, uh, not that, not that it's like Mike Evans is in danger kind of thing. It's just that Trevarius Ward is kind of like a money ball play to counter a receiver like Mike Evans because you're not so much trying to chase with high dollars, you know, the, the most skilled corner in the league. You're simply saying, Okay, outside receivers tend to be tall, tend to be fast, tend to be heavier. Those are the those are what make them dangerous. So let's get a corner who can deal with those things, even if they can't deal with everything else. And so like Charvarius Ward might be bad at covering someone who's a more lateral oriented receiver. Like you don't want him covering drag routes over the middle of the field. But if Mike Evans is going to run mostly posts and and fly routes and corner routes. That's perfectly suited to Chavaria's war. Those those looks aren't going to, to to expose him. And they keep him in these, these good advantageous setups with like the cover three looks where they're basically told to cover the sideline, not specifically so much cover uh you know they don't press man and have to cover the way they would the whole field because they do a cover three thing where they know that the defense is bumpering guys toward the middle where there are traps laid by Tyron Matthew. And as we saw last week, they got the deep center fielder with Juan Thornhill, the bumper system that they have works because it it funnels things inward and they're funneling you inward at Chris Jones at the first level at Tyron Matthew at the second level, and then at Juan Thornhill at the third one. And, You know, Frank Clark's doing a little bit. He's rushing the passer a little bit. Uh they got a couple rotational guys in the defensive front that are doing pretty good. Like that Tampa Bay offensive line, like why why did they let Tristan Worfs fall that far? Like we should have known he <laughs> would really good. I was I was projecting him to be the first offensive line like most people I think were projecting to be the first off- offensive lineman picked. Then he fell because they were like, Oh, well he's raw in a way that you guys wouldn't understand that real offensive line coaches do. And it's like he gets to Tampa Bay and like day one he's like a pro bowler. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, the Tampa Bay offensive line is good. So I'm not, I i do not mean to describe like the Chiefs defense is like this this creeping terror for you know the, the Tampa Bay offensive line like they're way better than they've been in a long time and they can deal with some of that stuff but I still think that Brady is not like, like he's, he's great in theory but the theory is is liable to get kind of renegotiated in a setting like this and I don't think Brady is a dynamic talent anymore like he doesn't he can't go off the script. Like, he's great at assembling the script and interpreting the script. But if it changes after the snap, I don't think he can do much more than but fall apart. And I think Spagnuolo, Spagnuolo does a good job of disguising his coverages and changing them up. And, uh, like, I almost wonder if he's been talking, like, him and Andy Reid designed the defense or something like that. Because it's, it's almost like the insights of the Chiefs offense precede the insights mm. of the defense in terms of, like, knowing how to – exploit space and 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 put you know just just use leverage on the field to put your opponent in, in bad positions and there's a real coherent theory behind it all and all the parts are specialized and work so well so I think the Chiefs defense is I mean Le'Jarius Sneed too it's like he, he they add him as like a he's coming on as like
1: a Mike Hilton threat from the slot yeah, he's been blitzing like like crazy right doesn't he have like six sacks or something in the last like Seven yeah, yeah,
0: and he's, he's, he's a guy who's really good as a corner outside too. Like, I bet he'll, uh, well, maybe not now. I, th- I would have said, like, he'll replace Bashad Breland next year outside, but maybe they're like, no, he's too good in the slot. We got to keep him in the slot. But it's like, he's not just a slot guy. He's just, he's just been a killer everywhere they play him. So he's really good. That's, I, I still don't think Breland is very good. He He plays opposite Ward, but. He knows how to play the scheme, and the scheme doesn't ask him to to cover one on one the same way that he did when he got lit up in Washington and wherever else he played. So even Breland's playing well, and it's like they it's like a whole swarm of specialists at all times, and it's just it's always on rhythm and. I feel like they've been getting better over the course of the year too, so I I don't see enough respect for the Chiefs defense in my opinion. Like I'm worried about Tampa Bay winning certainly, and it's not like I'm saying Tom Brady's gonna have a bad game, it's just that he's gonna have to play better than he basically has all year to get the results, to get results that are anywhere near the standard people presume when they look at his numbers from this year. Like he's not a 40 touchdown player or whatever he was in the same way that another guy who scored 40 touchdowns would have been. It's like there's that 40 is a lot weaker than it looks.
1: Yeah, no, it, it had a lot to do with the pieces around him than that it did with, with him specifically. But, you know, begrudgingly, I, I will kind of give some credit where it's due. I think that, you know, outside, I, he had some interesting kind of heat check moments against the Packers that were just, it was just sort of like, like, you know that that was a mistake, man. Why, why are you doing that? But, um, you know, he I felt like part in that game and he got bailed out, he got bailed out for sure. And that the Packers re- really helped him out in, in that sense. But I mean, he still, he delivered the kill shots when they were presented to him. And I, I, I still think that even if the, those instances are few and far between on Sunday, it's really hard to bet against Brady, like not oh, taking of advantage of a mistake.
0: Oh, of yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's definitely what he does and will continue to do it's just the the frame that i i insist on is like he needs those mistakes to be made whereas i think some people view it as he can as the dominant force instigate the mistakes and i don't think he can i think he can capitalize on the mistakes and admittedly having personnel like chris godwin mike evans gronkowski and uh the offensive line that they have that does invite a defense to make more mistakes but i don't think it's because he's dictating them. I think it's like he needs things to fall into place more than his numbers would would normally indicate. Normally when a quarterback has his kinds of numbers like he's had this year, you would be right to assume like this guy is a real killer quarterback. Like he, he clearly changes games. Whereas I think Brady needs the game changed for him toward his, you know, toward his strengths. And pending that he does, or given that he does get pretty much flawless. But if the game goes even slightly against what he needs, I think you get those, you know, more like the two Jair Alexander interceptions. It's like Brady has looked really bad to me at a lot of points this year. It just hasn't mattered because that defense is great. And he comes back and scores a touchdown on the next drive uh, because he has, you know, Three all pro receivers at all times on every single snap. And if he, if he, if he can keep coming back and running another play, eventually, yes, he, he will get back to the end zone. But uh, the key is, of course, to not screw it up like the Packers did when he gives you three turnovers. Like, that's, that's, that three turnovers shouldn't have happened if Brady was as good as people are generally Yeah, The, the,
1: the story, the story of that game, absolutely, what was, um, the, the Packers having six combined play, offensive plays, right? After two of those interceptions, like just yeah. going three and out twice in the second half when you were gifted interceptions. That, that is what sunk the Packers. You don't, you don't expect that to happen to, to the Chiefs this time if they're presented with, with those opportunities. But I will say, again, if it,
0: if it gets rainy, then I worry about that kind of taking out both passing games. And if this is a game that's decided on the ground, I don't think there's any question that Tampa Bay wins it. And I don't even think highly of Fournette. I think he's pretty bad, actually. Uh, I think they'd be smarter to go with, more with Jones, but uh, I don't know what the deal is with this quad or whatever. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things like I think Kansas City can defend the run in the rain, especially against running backs like these but the question isn't so much that generally as much as can they do it like whatever, 10 drives in a row where mm-hmm. they, they, they keep going back onto the field because it's raining and the chiefs are struggling to, to extend drives. Like in that scenario, as is the case with any defense, they could just tire out. And then at that point, the game isn't based on, uh, you know, what the trends were coming in. It's just like, who's more exhausted right now. It's not even about talent. It's just who's exhausted. And if, if, the answer is Kansas City then they lose and i don't see any way they can exhaust the tampa defense in that scenario yeah
1: man it's um th- if you if you asked me like a, a month ago you know how i would feel about this matchup it you know th- they tell me they're reporting to me from the future that it's going to be chiefs bucks i would have been like okay th- i mean the chiefs are the it's crazy that the bucks made it this far and i expect the chiefs to to kind of roll but i have just I've been too impressed by the Bucks and it, it's, you know, Brady's still good again, begrudgingly and, and, uh, those, the supporting cast is insane. Like you said, the offensive line is great and that, that defense, I think, is that secret sauce. So I'm looking over on the, on the FanDuel sportsbook right now. And if you, if you do a same game parlay, um, that has Bucks money line and the under, and I do like the under, especially after our conversation right now, that play, that pays plus 338. Like that's, Pretty sweet. So, I mean, if you are on the side of the Bucks in this one, then, and, uh, and believing in the defenses on both sides, then I think that's kind of a nice little same game parlay that you could get. But of course, that uh,
0: seems, John, to be the, the sharp position because the sharp money is on the Buccaneers and the under is actually going down a little bit. Yeah. From 57.
1: It's, yeah. Open up at 57 and a half. I'm looking at 55 and a half right now over on, on DraftKings and, uh, and FanDuel both.
0: Yeah, that, uh, I don't know how sports books work exactly, but I would think they might have to pull that one in uh, you know, the end of the day or something like that. If the money keeps coming in, like it has,
1: right No, that's it. Yeah. That's a, that'll be something to, to monitor, um, or yeah, they're, they're going to have to figure something out because, uh, yeah, that, that looks very enticing to me. I might have to somehow find my way down to, to Illinois or something. Um, but, uh, bottom, bottom line here, Mario, um, I guess let's get to a couple we'll get to a couple like uh player specific props um that, that you might formulate an opinion on one way or the other um and then give our our final game predictions and then we'll we'll get to some some news and notes from from around the league uh one one prop that I'm particularly interested in is the player with the longest reception, and looking at the board Ooh. right now. A couple of guys that that are speedsters that I think are, are nice X factors with, with nice odds to attached miko Hardman, Shocker, I know that uh, that we're talking about him and then uh, Scotty Miller, both of them at plus 1100 on the FanDuel sportsbook for uh, longest reception. and both those guys have the ability to do it and when you're getting like over plus a thousand money on it, like I think just sprinkling a few shekels on that might be might be worth something to, to consider.
0: Yeah, I like the Mikol part of that. I know that, um, so, so, both of these teams have good free safeties and they're a little bit different though, all the same. Like in Tampa's case, you got Antoine Winfield who he's, he's doing everything. I haven't, I haven't paid close enough attention to see how much he does each thing, but you see him come up close to the line of scrimmage. You see him kind of covering tight ends, you see him doing slot coverage. You'll see him go deep, too, because he's fast enough to do that. He's, he's good at everything, basically. Um, he, he's he's going to be an all-pro type of player. I guess he could already be, for all I know. But in Kansas City's case, it's Juan Thornhill, who's more of a, a, a center fielder. Like, he's going to be the guy who, who you just can't really run past. And if you try and if you throw it at him, he's, he's a ball hawk, too. So those things tend to be discouraged. So for that reason, I, I find Scotty Miller a little less likely on the matchup basis than Mecole Hardman. Just because, not so much because Winfield can't make that same play that Thornhill can, but because Winfield's more likely than Thornhill to be covering a tight end on any given play or something, or or Winfield might be part of their plan to double Tyreek Hill.
1: I don't really know. And if they put Jordan, he's probably not going to be at hundred percent either. By the way. Oh really? I haven't. Yeah, I forgot to check on that. Yeah, he missed. He or he was out for the Packers game, and he was a limited participant.
0: Yeah, he's really good and if he's out again, uh Whitehead
1: also got hurt I think in
0: that game.
1: I guess yep, I don't know. Yep. he's got a shoulder so he was a limited participant um on Wednesday and uh Jason Pierre-Paul did not practice on on Wednesday with with a knee.
0: They've been that doing be that with Pierre. Yeah, with yeah. Pierre-Paul they've been letting him not practice all year. Uh so he'll play for sure but and, and I would expect Winfield and Whitehead to play, but Whitehead is not exactly like a fast safety. He's, he's more of the guy you would want to have being the slot defender where his speed isn't likely to hurt you so much as a defense. But, uh, yeah, Mikel can run away from basically anybody. He's not, and, and Scott Miller is not Mikel fast. Like he's pretty fast. Um, but I think Juan Thornhill can deal with him. And I, I think that it, you know, it's not like the, the Buccaneers are going to forget who Miko Hardman is. They're not going to get out there and be like, oh, dang it, we didn't cover that guy and th- then no one can catch him. That won't happen, but you can at least have the scenario where someone is on him running with him and, and then all of a sudden he just pulls away. Like, I don't think Miller can do that to the Chiefs defense. He'll need something like a slipped tackle attempt by Thornhill he'll, he'll need somebody to like trip up in coverage something like that whereas Meikle can straight up dust anybody on the Buccaneers
1: that's true no that's a good way of, of framing that one um, you know again it's just one of those things where uh even my pea-sized brain can you know it it can notice that there's speed for for Hardman and Miller both and be like oh well, that usually means uh, they're a good threat for a long catch, and why not? Why not them for for uh, plus eleven hundred on on either of them?
0: What is the deal with Sammy Watkins? I should
1: have looked this up, but is he practicing? So, uh, I believe I believe so. He was a limited participant uh, on Wednesday.
0: Okay, well. He's, he's interesting because I, I'm sure that, I'm sure Todd Bowles is thinking too, like, you're not going to surprise me with Sam, playoff Sammy Watkins this time, <laughs> uh, or, you know, not this time, uh, it, it wasn't last, it was the Seahawks, right? Last, no, it was 49ers last time. Yeah. Uh, so he, Todd Bowles watched that, he, he knows, he, he remembers who Sammy Watkins is. He's not going to be caught off guard by, by Andy Reid unveiling Sammy Watkins in the playoffs like he did last year. Uh, but Sammy Watkins would probably be running mostly against, oh well, hell, actually, the, if they don't use Carlton Davis to shadow Tyreek, then it could be Carlton Davis that Sammy Watkins is against just as much as Jamel Dean or Sean Murphy Bunting. The thing is, I think Watkins can beat all those guys, so, uh, I don't know if his, is it, are his odds, uh, Less favorable than McColl's.
1: Uh, slight, yeah, slightly. I'll I'll get that pulled pulled back up here in a. In that a would section. make sense because
0: he's if he's healthy, he'll probably play he, like. Okay, he's more
1: plus eleven hundred, just like uh, McColl and Scotty Miller.
0: I like Sammy the most out of those, I guess. If he's out there, I don't know what the deal is with his calf injury, but uh, Sammy Watkins can kill a defense. He's he's someone that everybody loves to hate on, and I'm sorry, man, you you cannot make DeAndre Hopkins a borderline afterthought at Clemson and then be anything less than a very good player. I refuse to hear the case. It's just, it's not something I'm willing to listen to. And I hate how people co- always point at Sammy Watkins's career and point toward seasons where not only that he got hurt with that chronic foot injury, but they're like, po- they're pointing at these seasons where he played with Jared Goff and Tyrod Taylor. It's like, come right. on, like, he's, and, and then in the chiefs, the Chiefs' offense, he does this kind of, uh, you, you know how like the the Rams use Cooper Cup to do like edge blocking and stuff. Like Sammy Watkins does a lot of that. He does a lot of tangling up the robbers, the the zone coverages in the middle of the field. Some of those plays where Travis Kelsey is inexplicably uncovered after four seconds, like some of that happens because the teams, the, the defenses have to run with Sammy Watkins in the middle of the field, and Andy Reid is using decoys, and Sammy Watkins played a decoy pretty much all last year until the Super Bowl, and then whoop. Playing something different, turns out he can still play. So Sean, Monty, uh, Sean Murphy Bunting, second year out of Central Michigan, he does not want to cover Sammy Watkins. Uh, Carlton Davis does not want to cover Sammy Watkins. Jamel Dean does not want to cover Sammy Watkins. So I know everybody hates the guy because we, everybody people like me keep hyping him when he goes to a new team or whatever, um, and he keeps getting hurt or playing with Jared Goff or playing with Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> but he's still good, and you still have to respect
1: him. Amen. Yes. So, I mean, it again, you know, it was something that we saw a year ago with him kind of getting un- unveiled a little bit in, in the Super Bowl. It will be interesting to see if, you know, we, we see something similar um, this time around. Uh, I'm going to throw out some some rushing yardage uh, props for you. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire checking in at uh Thirty and a half on on the sports books and and uh twenty six and a half is his lowest over on <laughs> BetMGM. MGM. So so not a ton of respect for, for the rookie. Yeah. We have him projected at forty forty three yards. I don't see him getting that far. I don't Yeah, forty three is easy. That's an under
0: right uh but 33.27, that's man it's like one one slip up play can do that right there you know and then he can get zero yards on his next 12 carries um i i think i'll go with under just because he's probably going to play like 25 snaps splitting with Daryl Williams he's probably going to get like so you can you can almost answer this question i think by the question of like how many carries do you think he's going to get and i feel like it's something like 7 or 8 and I think the the odds of him averaging over four yards a carry just aren't
1: good. No, exactly. So yeah, that by that math, of course, uh, yeah, you've got that one nailed. I, I think um, I, I think that you know he could push for low double digits, but also with, with just very low efficiency. So that's probably a stay away for me. But um, if I if I had to to pick a side, I would probably be on the under for, for that you know,
0: one. The uh, the offensive line injury situation is bad for Clyde Edenthaler. Uh, Because it makes, it raises the odds that Daryl Williams is out there for pass blocking purposes.
1: Oh, okay. All right. So that, that is another, uh, important detail there. Um, how about some combined rushing and receiving yardage? So we got, uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, checking in at, uh, let's see, 78 and a a half. Um, we're projecting him to get 74 and a half roughly, uh, rushing and receiving yards combined. That's a, that feels like the right number. I mean, of course, like, you know, this is a Vegas-generated number. Of course, it feels like the right one. But uh, that that's another one where I felt like in the Green Bay game, I really liked Fournette's projection. But that was closer to, like, 67 and a half. I don't know if his usage is going to be quite the same this time around. So I'm probably more, more inclined to go the under on, on his uh, total yards.
0: Yeah, I have trouble answering this one because I'm not credible basically about Leonard Fournette. Like I just, (laughs) I think he's so bad and I can't, I can't understand why he gets on the, I know he made that one good play against the Packers, but he has his one good play a year and he used it. You know, it's like every, every year he has an 80 or 90 yard carry, uh, that barely juices his yards per carry over four and the rest of the year it's just garbage and I think that as much as the chiefs defense kind of allows some stuff to happen on the ground, I think it really is more of an allowing kind of thing. I don't think it's so much that like they can't do better than that. I think it's, I think it's like, that's, that's just kind of how we design our, our defense. And if we wanted to, we could pay more attention to the run, but we don't. So we don't, uh, but that part, part of why they're, or part of what I would expect is why they're bad at stopping the run on an efficiency basis has to do with the fact that they are paying very close attention to the pass catching production of opposing running backs. Um, so I, I mean, it's it's uh, largely as the passer that Fournette has made it work, because that's where Ronald Jones is bad, and and it's how he gets pulled for for Fournette to go on the field instead. But you don't really see the you don't see the Chiefs being as bad against running back pass catching production as you do against the run. Like they're not great. But six and a half yards per target allowed at seventy five point four. It's like teams teams that are successful throwing to the running backs generally get that catch rate over eighty, and you you probably get over seven yards a target I guess in this scenario. But Leonard Fournette is still a bad pass catching running back. Like He's not he's not good at it. It's just that Ronald Jones is apparently the worst at it. So right. it's not something where I look at uh, as a, as like a vulnerability in the Chiefs defense, and yet. It's a necessary to me part of how Fournette would get to that yardage total, but I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. Maybe I'm giving too much credit to the Chiefs, but I would kind of lean under.
1: Okay, and then uh, maybe a dumb question, but th- this is like uh, you know a little bit further down the injury report. Something that might only interest me because I was pretty fascinated with this guy as a prospect, but. Willie Gay is going to be out. Is that something that that could hurt the Chiefs' ability to to stop the the Buccaneers' like pass catchers uh, like out of the backfield? Because he, I mean, he is someone oh. that has four, you know, four four speed at, at right. linebacker. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I I I just don't think he's played enough this year for Fair. him to be really to to attribute too many results to him. Like I feel like it's Ben Neiman who's been playing a lot too. Uh, they they have a, they have a lot of rotation going on in that front seven, aside from Chris Jones and Frank Clark. So uh, I don't think the gay injury really matters because he he was probably only gonna play like twenty snaps anyway.
1: okay, that's that's definitely fair. Just wanted to to exhaust all uh, possibilities. Um, one other prop that I'm kind of interested in, I, I like the props that that pay off pretty quickly, especially for for Super Bowl. Um, uh, what's it Oh, yeah, first scoring play. I think Buck's field goal is is plus 410, and I think that the Chiefs, if I'm remembering this correctly, have uh, more of a defer to the second half type of disposition, so I'm expecting the Bucks to get um, the ball first, and I expect them to, well, I guess it doesn't even need to be the first drive, it just needs to be the first scoring play, but... I, I think the Bucks can move the ball down the field and, and not necessarily open it up with a touchdown, but a field goal, again, plus 410 when it's betting on a, a Bucks touchdown to, to open the scoring is plus 200. I play the odds there. I, I like that number for for Bucks field goal being the first scoring play.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have no insight on these things. I don't know how – I'm not like a betting guy, but – uh, if, if, if it's, what is that saying? Like twice as likely for a Tampa touchdown than a Tampa field goal. That doesn't Pretty quite, much, yeah. That doesn't quite sound right to me. So if, if, if we're looking more for inefficiencies, not that I know how to spot them either, but, uh, that to me sounds like a, a, a little bit of like a biased sort of math.
1: Yeah. See, exactly. So, so those are, those are some ones that, that I'm looking at. Um, have not seen the, the line on the, uh, National anthem or anything fun like that, but the, the, we're gonna have a t- you know shameless plug here real quick. But um, I will have a betting article up that uh, before the Super Bowl, and we're gonna have I think two other writers uh, churning out some some fun uh, betting uh, stuff for the for the Super Bowl specifically. Again, betting specific content, so keep an eye out for that, dear listener. Um, all right, Mario, let's get to our final prediction for how this game shakes out, and then we'll get on to to the quarterback stuff. So floor is yours. Final score, who wins?
0: Well, if there's no rain, I'll say Kansas City wins and covers. If there is rain, then I guess I'll take Tampa Bay by, like, I don't know, three or something annoying like
1: that, probably last second.
0: Um, You know, really excruciating
1: sort of way for it to end. Yeah, I think let's see here. I think it's really tough to envision the 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 Chiefs scoring any less than 28 points, but I'm going to do it here. I think it's going to be Bucks 27, Chiefs 24.
0: Fair I'm enough. Sorry. I I personally I would say that if Tampa wins, it'll be even lower scoring than that. Like I think it'll be uh like 24-21 kind of thing.
1: Okay. that I mean, that definitely checks out. And, and again, you know, if, if you're on the under, you're probably also um, on the bucks a, as well, at least against the spread, not necessarily um, with that money line. Um, okay. Let's get on over, again, some seismic news happened over last weekend, Saturday night. Check my phone, and everyone's freaking out. Jared Goff has been traded. The Rams now have Matthew Stafford. What was your reaction, Mario?
0: Well, I was pretty surprised by the whole thing. I didn't realize that the Rams were as low on golf as they were. I didn't realize they were specifically working to unload the the cap that they uh, that the cap damage that they had given themselves with the golf extension. I didn't realize that they were working on scheming on ways to get another team to accept some of that. But it's the right course for where they put themselves, you know, it's like not, it's not like I thought it would be great if in a couple of years the Rams could trade whatever, two first round picks and a second round pick and a third or whatever for Matt Stafford. But if you give me the hypothetical of like, okay, you're the Rams. You're signed to Jared Goff for like 15 more years and a billion dollars. Uh, you are up against the cap. It's not great. Uh, Matt Stafford's available for a trade. Would you trade these picks to get this much money off the books and get Stafford at quarterback instead of Goff? That's a no question to me. That's obvious. I don't understand how anyone can have the argument against that. It's like mm-hmm. people who people who are bashing the Stafford trade from the Rams side are probably doing all of the following: overrating Jared Goff, underrating Matt Stafford misunderstanding or underrating the importance of removing that cap damage from their books like those i, I saw like mike Tanier or whatever his name is freaking out all week like these many picks aren't worth matt stafford it's like it's literally not for just matt stafford look at what they're doing with the, the salary cap look at what they're doing with the salary asset exchanges it's like the brock osweiler trade to cleveland it's like bill Polian was like Having a stroke on the air because he's like, they can't, you can't do a trade where one team doesn't trade anything back. That's illegal. And it's like, no, you can do that because they traded a second round pick for Cleveland to eat the money that they put on their cap to sign Brock Osweiler. Now it's not on their cap and it's on Cleveland's in, instead. That was the exchange. And there was a little bit of that going on with this too. And you're, you got people just saying, it's an overpayment, open and shut. It's like it's an overpayment if the Rams weren't getting rid of that money from their cap. Like that's – I don't know how this is so difficult to understand. But in any case, as far as where we go away from the kind of just open and shut part of this to, to the more uh, arguable, the, the more ambiguous, I still think that Stafford versus Goff is kind of like a cataclysmic difference. <laughs> like I don't think – I don't think that – like I see these people who are always wrong about everything about football and, and are alien to football and dislike football and don't want to learn about it. Just watch and the dots, insti- man. Right. They want to turn football into their version of reality, which is just some unending version of everybody asking them what they think and thinking they're so smart for saying whatever they do. They don't actually like football. They don't mean to understand it. They just want it to change to be more like they prefer. Those people are the ones who are telling you – uh, um. Actually, Jared Goff is uh, this many win probabilities better than Stafford over these three years? It's like, oh yeah, it's almost like one played for the Rams and one played for the Lions. <laughs> um, great insights, guys. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, it's 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 like, look, if you put together a metric that says Jared Goff is better than Matt Stafford. The person who hasn't lobotomized themselves already would say, looks like the number's wrong, Bob. It's not quite right. It says that Goff's better. It looks like it's not quite doing what we hoped it would. These people instead go, wow, Stafford is worse than Goff. Huh. There wasn't any other obvious evidence of that, but if the metric says so, I guess why? why should I keep thinking? Why not just turn my entire brain off and let the numbers just simulate reality for me? Uh, which is what they do and it's why they'll be wrong about this like they're wrong about everything and they won't change they won't have any humility they won't have any reflection about any of it they'll just keep coming out with more reasons why actually you were stupid for thinking Matt Stafford would be better than Goff this year even though you know once Stafford has already shown that he's way better than Goff it'll be like <coughs> excuse me it's gonna be like oh well you were kind of enumerate for thinking that he was th- th- there was no scientific basis It's like, fine. There's no scientific basis. Just, just keep saying that. There was a basis of some kind, though. And, uh, let's keep track of these things from now on and see who's right about anything instead of, like, saying, declaring who's right on the basis of process. It's like your process obviously isn't worth anything if you keep thinking Jared Goff is better than Matt Stafford and that Ryan Tannehill and Baker Mayfield are better than Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. Like just, just grow up and accept reality. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, Jared Goff is terrible, and I don't know why it's so hard to get these people to understand the detail, like the, the, the schematic elements of, of football that that can make individual player traits get obscured or or even you know completely covered up. <clears throat> it's like if you watch Goff, and if if, if you look at his stats, like I don't, I don't think this is an outlandish position. I feel like everybody agrees about this. Jared Goff is a much uglier football player than his stats would lead you to believe. Like he he is he's got. Uh, generally good numbers, and yet when you watch him, it feels like things are going wrong all the time. And it's like, just, just try to imagine, like, just take out Jared Goff from that play, put someone else who, I don't know, like, even like an average quarterback, and the play goes better. He's a below average quarterback. So, going from bad quarterback play to even average quarterback play, along with the condition of removing that bad cap money, is enough to justify the trade. And yet I think we'll find Stafford is safely above average, and that that's where this will be a real windfall for the Rams is because he can transform that offense now. McVeigh can use the whole field now on offense, whereas before they had to do all this smoke and mirrors just to barely drag Jared Goff over the finish line, and it was not working, and, and McVeigh knew it, and that's why they had that urgency to get rid of Goff and to get that money off the books and get Stafford instead. They can see it. McVay knows that what's been holding him back so much is the fact that they can't throw deeper than 20 yards, and Matt Stafford isn't exactly like a chucker downfield. Like he's he, he works well underneath too, and, and indeed that was a major criticism of Stafford the first like six years of his career. It's like why is he such a cannon arm quarterback, but he does so much dink and dunk stuff? But it's just the mere threat, <clears throat> the mere threat that his arm poses to make these throws downfield changes the entire calculus of how a defense approaches the Rams' offense. And when that changes, it opens up things for the offense that Stafford can also exploit better than Goff would. So, I think it's going to totally like it's going to it's going to be like instant threshold tipper kind of detail. Like I think that going from Goff, one of the worst quarterbacks to Stafford, who's probably like the 10th best, I think I think the gulf between them is much bigger than than conventional stats would lead anyone to think right now.
1: So I guess what I'm trying to to wrestle with, and I'm totally with you on, on the golf versus Stafford analysis. And you know, golf last year you're the bottom of the league in, in average depth of throw, the sixth percentile to to be precise, six point four yards. Uh, Stafford on the other on the complete other end of the spectrum, his average target depth was like ten yards down the field, one of the one of the highest in the league. So to your point, that that definitely opens up this offense. But when it comes to the Rams in general. Um, I have made a note of the Rams Super Bowl odds changing it was like plus 1800 going into last Saturday it changed to like plus 1500 for the Super Bowl for next year. So just looking at this Rams offseason in general and, and being able to go ahead grab Stafford uh get that money off the books obviously that you know they they don't seem to be overly interested in first round picks and that seems to be working just fine for them. You know that's a that's kind of their way of doing it and you know again been working since Back in 2016, I mean, they, they got to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. So that it's an organization that knows what they're doing. But I think one of the biggest storylines from this year that we've talked about was Brandon Staley's transformation of the defense. So I'm just trying to, yeah. in your, in your mind, get like the, what is the net outcome here? Like with the improvement of the Rams offense here versus a potential regression, um, as far as the Rams defense is concerned with, with Brandon Staley now being in the same building, but obviously being the head coach of the Chargers. Yeah, it's tough. And you could see that they, they made big changes from the Wade Phillips defense to the to the Staley one.
0: And it's not going to be easy to replace Staley because by any account we have at this point, that guy looks pretty good uh, even as a head coaching prospect for the for the Chargers, let alone the defensive coordinator for the Rams, so the I replace him. That's <clears throat> it's possible, but it's it's kind of optimistic. So the defense should be expected to regress. Like it should have been expected to regress anyway, just because it's like, it's hard to be number one or whatever more, more than once uh, in a, more than more than one or two times or whatever in a three year span. And uh, they're getting by with a lot of less than great talents. It's like the star power is there, of course, the Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And maybe you could even say, well, yeah, when you have stars like those, you, you don't need good players at the other positions, but it's like, you look around <clears throat> if Leonard Floyd is your kind of like big name guy at three? Like I know he did, he did a legitimately good job this year, but he, he's basically just like Manny Lawson or something. Like he's, he's a strong side outside linebacker in a three four who can give you a couple double digit sack seasons, but mostly you're just leaning on him to seal the edge, uh, with, with his length there. And that was like their third most dominant player. They got like Micah Kaiser, these guys playing a lot of snaps. Uh, Troy Hill and Darius Williams are good, but it's like, they're only good, and yet the results all year were great. So yeah. I see a lot of ways that they can regress there. I'm not worried about John Johnson leaving. I think uh, uh, he's he's age is not that good in my opinion. Like he's fine, but he's not. I saw somebody saying like the Stafford trade. First of all, they misunderstood. Like the Stafford trade is going to make them more able to spend money, not less. And then they were saying like uh, you know now the Stafford, trade, they're not going to be able to re-sign Leonard Floyd and John Johnson. And it's like they have Taylor Rapp. Who was a second round pick in 2018? Uh, sorry, 2019, and he did well as a starter that year. They benched him last year for Jordan Fuller because Fuller, as a sixth round pick, was so good. So John Johnson can just walk, and they can replace him with Taylor Rapp. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leonard Floyd. I'm not convinced that they don't bring him back, but if they don't, also doesn't matter. Uh, you, you can just go sign Tano Passanio or something like that, and you yeah, can get we the, need
1: same. the only Villanova player in the league, I believe.
0: Yes, so. Uh, now that now that Brian Westbrook has long retired, yes. um, yeah, I think um, I think the Rams defense will regress. But if, really, though, part of what's interesting about Staley to me is that, like I was talking a little bit earlier about how I feel like Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo are both uh, having design input on the Chiefs defense. I feel like you are heading toward a new paradigm where you can't really have specialists anymore like to be a great defensive coordinator you need to understand how offenses run and vice versa and the way staley described things or or the way staley talks he almost just sounds like defense mcveigh and for mcveigh to identify him and pick him out of vic fangio's staff as a linebacker coach almost makes me think that mcveigh had a part in that scheme too Mm. and it was more it wasn't so much that staley brought this uh new perfect insight that only he has it felt to me almost like McVay had the insight and he needed someone who understood what he was talking about to put it in motion so I think you'll see the Rams defense mostly look the same but the fluctuation I think will be will have more to do with just things like it's hard to have three of the most productive corners in the NFL on one defense two years in a row more likely Jalen Ramsey stays really good and Troy Hill does a little worse or Darius Williams does a little worse or somebody gets a little older than they were last year and they get a little worse. Like those kinds of things start to sh- pop up uh, in a long enough sample.
1: No, that's a, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I, I guess, you know, b- bottom line when it comes to the, this Rams team, obviously their defense w- was kind of what carried them to, to the second round of the playoffs and made that game competitive for a while. Um, up in Green Bay until, until the long touchdown to Lazard or whatever it was. But, um, yeah. you know, as far as power structure in the NFC goes, and again, like you said, the Rams actually have a little bit of wiggle room to, to play with in free agency now. It looks like to either bring their guys back or, or to, to hit the market a little bit. Um, but within the, within the, the NFC West itself and the NFC at large, um, you know how much does this really change where the rams are in, in the pecking order in your mind
0: well i think that they go from first to first basically and i think uh, if the if the 49ers had traded for stafford that would not be true like they, that was part of probably the price that the rams paid too is like making sure he doesn't go to san francisco where shanahan wins the division now it's just a wrap sorry yeah. that was your one chance and and you let stafford get there that's how that's another thing that people are losing sight of with this trade uh but yeah I don't think that the 49ers even like I'm still high on Sam Darnold and I, it does not seem like they're going to add him but even if they even if the 49ers did add Sam Darnold I think Stafford is is too good right now for the, for that to close the gap and if it's Kirk Cousins instead of Sam Darnold um yeah sorry I I still I still think Darnold's better than Cousins and I know I know that that's a a crazy thing to say and I I accept that I'm not trying to convince anyone I'm just I'm just saying what I believe so I would have preferred Darnold if I was a 49ers fan. And I think incidentally he would be cheaper than Cousins because Cousins' brand isn't in, in the tank. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Cousins is not enough to bridge the gap that exists from Goff to Stafford. Like that's not, like, that's not negated by Garoppolo to Cousins. And in Seattle, I don't know what is going on exactly. Pete Carroll firing Schottenheimer is a weird thing to me. I thought they were bros. But, yeah. uh, so I don't know if Pete Carroll's kind of turning into a mad king now and, and maybe losing his kind of uh, legitimacy. Like maybe he's lashing out I mean, He's old.
1: I mean, he's getting up there. Like he, there's no way he has much left. I, I wouldn't think. Right. Yeah. Totally. Uh,
0: so that's true. And, and Cliff Kingsbury's a dumbass. I don't think they're going anywhere. <laughs> they couldn't <laughs> yeah. go anywhere in the NFC East. No, nah,
1: uh, no. Nah, yeah. Not, not, not with old Cliff there. So, I mean, zooming it out, uh, I guess. So, uh, Point well taken as far as Rams now kind of being the class of the NFC West. But hey, John, real quickly, the Rams
0: have under contract Stafford, Acres, Woods, Cup, Higby. Like that's that's a winning record right there, and their defense might be good. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's a playoff team, even if people want to kick and scream all day about how they were inefficient with their draft picks and salary cap, which I would too. I think that they've, like, the Jared Goff contract was bad, and I don't agree with all these trades, like the Brandon Cooks thing. Like, I don't know what the point of that was. But the thing is, they still are first in the division.
1: They are. And, uh, I, I guess we don't really know what Andrew Whitworth's going to do. Maybe he's, he's done. That isn't done, done, the problem. Nope. Okay.
0: Oh no! Sorry, uh, I was saying that—that that is a problem. They—they they do have to figure that out.
1: Yes, and uh, you know, this is a bit of uh, guy who pays too much attention to the Ravens coming into mind. But there, there, there seems like there's a little bit of uh, unrest on the horizon with Orlando Brown Jr. Oh, and it sounds like he could be asking for a trade potentially. So 2029 20, first rounder. Mm-hmm. See, you yeah. see where I'm going with this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. And then I guess just overall when it when it comes to the Rams, like looking at it next year, I I I don't know what to make of the Packers because I thought that I thought they were great this year. They were my pick to to win the NFC after we got a, enough sample to really accurately know what was going on. Um, I don't I think that this year I think there's going to be a bit of a hangover for the Packers next year. I, I don't see them being quite as good. So maybe the Rams equal footing there. I could see the Bucks being really good again, and if you know, it's Brady back there again. It's hard to, hard to count them out. I don't really see anyone from the East, uh, that's of particular worry. I think the Saints are, you know, about to be taking, uh, well, I don't know if the Saints are, are like moribund forever, but they're not going to have the quarterback situation figured out. And that's going to be, you know, the, the weight around their neck for the entire season. So yeah, I guess it, it kind of looks to me like three of the four teams that were playing, um, on NFC divisional weekend uh should kind of be back as the class of the NFC again next year.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, even if the Rams defense regresses, it, like Stafford's biggest issue is his durability and admittedly that's that's a real problem that he has. Uh it's it's something that's concerning, don't know what to do about it, but if he's on the field, I don't think there's really any question that they win that division and if uh the if it's them the Buccaneers and the Packers um I don't know. I don't know how I see that going, but uh, I really like the idea of Stafford in that offense. And I, I think that it's, it's going to be just kind of eye opening how much Goff held them back. And I, I think you'll see. Oh, I meant to mention earlier, uh, one of the person who wins the most from that trade is Van Jefferson because I don't think the Rams are going to re-sign Josh Reynolds unless okay. Reynolds has an incredibly cold market. And the whole thing about that offense before was like only two guys could produce as pass catchers because golf can only throw basically like a drag or a slant to either side of the field. And you can't have everybody running slants and drags. So Cooper Cup and Robert Woods got everything. But I think with Stafford there, it opens the, it opens the, you know, the uh, second dimension. Like it can go vertically. And with that new opening on the field, there's all these kind of like new markets that route runners can go into. And I think Van Jefferson is going to be the by default downfield guy because Woods and Cooper Cup definitely aren't downfield guys. And uh, I think all that new space opened up by Stafford's arm basically just goes to Jefferson.
1: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting foresight there. And, and when it comes to Jefferson, I thought that he he looked like one of the best, if not – well, not I maybe mean, he – he might have played the best of any of the Rams receivers in that divisional round game against the Packers. He
0: was playing Cooper Cup's position in that game, but yeah, he did. He did pretty good. I I still don't think he's great or anything, but I think he's good enough to ride the baseline yeah. of an offense. And I yeah. think
1: Stafford's raising the baseline to like just I don't know twice as high.
0: This <laughs> is like w- way better than Goff.
1: There we go. And speaking of other 2016 first round picks who are um, either at odds or just overall uh, just having. Tough go of it at the moment. None other than Carson Wentz. Um so it looks like, you know, we, we, we saw the whole rigmarole late in the off, or late in the season with the benching, with the transfer, uh, um, over to, to Jalen Hurts. Um we saw Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. That relationship dissolved to, to where, uh, Philly chose Peterson, or I'm sorry, chose Wentz over Peterson. Uh, there was no way that both of them could still be in Philadelphia together and the franchise to move forward. But reports from Ian Rappaport, um, uh, you know, as of to the day that we're recording today, the 4th, they have been feeling some some trade calls, according to Ian Rappaport. Um, just, I don't think that they're necessarily gung-ho, or at least they're not going to be outwardly. That was g- prank g- calling the, oh. the Howie Roseman. Sorry. Oh, respect respect to that, of course. But um, I the the changing of the coach doesn't really solve the fact that Wentz still has arguably the worst contract in football that they, like hasn't even kicked in yet and he's completely unhappy with with the franchise and the franchise rightfully is unhappy with him and the franchise i think should you know see what they can see what this Jalen Hurts guy can really do for them so I don't I don't know what what is the future uh for Carson Wentz and do you foresee any sort of market forming for him um if it comes out that that the Eagles are like kind of a little bit more um motivated sellers if you will to get rid of him?
0: I think the Eagles are already fully or at least if the Adam Schefter report that Wentz wants out is true then I think that the the Eagles have to hate this guy by now because he's a whiny brat. And he's, he's spoiled and he doesn't think that he's done anything wrong through any of this. He's a delusional person who, if he was a wide receiver, the whole media, sports media, would, would gang up on him and call him a, what a moron he is and, you know, would say what, what, a, what a whiny little brat he is. But because he's Carson Wentz, they're like, well, we have to listen to his feelings. You have to, you can't just be, you can't just like say, oh, you're, You're going on the bench now. You, he, 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 he was on the bench for a Super Bowl, or he was hurt for a Super Bowl. You know, like there's always, there's always this like tone of patience with the guy. It's like no, he's make him shut up, get him out of here. And I I have to believe that as the people who have actually dealt with him, they believe that. Like they're, they're like this guy sucks. We got to get rid of him. But you can't just get rid of a quarterback who is a head case and is expensive and played incomprehensibly badly the last year and expect people to line up and pay for it i think the question is like what team would take him like i don't think there's many teams that want wins and luckily for the eagles though i think there are two possibilities where they could come out ahead here or not out ahead as in like we're back to being competitors again like i think they have to accept that they're going to be in a rebuilding phase now and if it if it's, uh, if the question that they're facing is like, do we go into the year with a malcontent, uh, Carson Wentz or do we trade him and go with Jalen Hurts or, or even if they can only go in with Jalen Hurts, you still trade or cut Carson Wentz. Even if you have to cut him, cut him. Get, just get this idiot out of here. He's toxic to the team. He's not good enough to, to, be, to, ju- to justify any of the, the nonsense that he pulls. They have to get rid of him even if they can't get Justin Fields or Trey Lance or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, But he can only really go to two teams as far as I see it. Houston, maybe. And I don't know if there's a Deshaun Watson to Philadelphia thing that would be necessary there. But I think Carson Wentz is basically the quarterback version of Jack Easterby, and I think they would get along (laughs) great. So there's there's that. Um, And – Indianapolis, like that's it. Like I don't think Kyle Shanahan has a use for Carson Wentz. I don't think. Uh, who, who else are we thinking of here? What about?
1: I, I don't hear me out. And it, maybe the situation's so bad you you never see an interdivision thing happen. I was going to say Washington. What, yes. What about the football team?
0: Yeah, they should try it, man. They
1: should just. They should
0: just. Yeah, they should try to get Carson Wentz to Washington. That yeah, would be just hilarious.
1: keep keep nagging the Eagles about how low Wentz's value is until it reaches a, a price point that you can stomach.
0: Right. So the th- things are things are looking bad for the Eagles in my opinion because I always assumed that that Sirianni hiring was to appease Carson Wentz, like Carson Wentz wanted a coach who would say like who, who basically. Uh, pledge allegiance to Carson Wentz and say things like, we won't have a competition between Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Carson mm-hmm. Wentz is our quarterback. And I assumed that's what explained why the Eagles would hire someone so uninspiring as a head coach. I assumed it was because Sirianni is the only person who was willing to say that. And it looks even worse. Like it looks, it looks like the reality is even worse than that because Carson Wentz was apparently not appeased by this. And so that means that they hired Sirianni only because, uh, Howie Roseman thought that he could push him around and like, or, or maybe even worse, maybe Sirianni was like, yeah, I'll do whatever you say, boss. I'm not, I won't act up, boss. And maybe that's why he's there. Uh, so the, the Eagles have as their head coach what is basically Nick Sirianni. This is a bit of an old reference for some people, but some people will know immediately what I'm talking about. Nick Sirianni is to Howie Roseman what Dave Campo was to Jerry Jones in the early oh, 2000s.
1: Oh, wow. I got Just you. A,
0: like a shameless, overt puppet. Man, or or just like a or someone who's easily bullied. Um, I don't know what it is in Sirianni's case, uh, but there's a reason how Howie Roseman liked him, and apparently it had nothing to do with Carson Wentz's opinion. So uh, it's like, great, where our head coach is not you know the the stooge of Carson Wentz, but he is the puppet of Howie Roseman, who's apparently uh, just turning into a villain himself. So it's not looking good either way, but they, whatever case they got to get rid of Wentz in my opinion. And if they can get Indianapolis to give up anything, that strikes me as the best case scenario. Otherwise, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually do think Jack Easterby would love Carson Wentz. And I think that if I'm the Eagles, I am calling Houston to see if I can trade, uh, like two, three first rounders and, or maybe like, uh, Two first rounders, and hell, I'd, I'd throw in someone like Rager to get it done. I'd throw in, uh, who I like still. I'm not, I don't, I'm not one of these people who thinks J- Jalen Rager is bad. Um, but I think getting Carson Wentz out and Deshaun Watson into Philadelphia would be worth almost anything. Yeah. yeah I think, I think Car- I think, uh, Easter would love Carson Wentz. They're both treacherous, slithering, uh, weirdos, and I, I
1: think they would respect each other for it. A match made in heaven there. But otherwise, just,
0: maybe Frank Reich, maybe Frank Reich just, uh, having been away from all this time still thinks of Carson Wentz in like 2017 terms and maybe he can be a dupe for a trade. But otherwise, I don't, I don't know what calls anyone would be making to Philadelphia for Carson Wentz other than, hey, the, the, it, other than the Osweiler trade. I don't know how anyone is calling Philadelphia other than to say, hey, we got cap space. If you give us a second rounder and a third, we'll take Carson Wentz's salary off the books for you.
1: Well, I mean, that's, that's seriously something that, that could be a factor because the Eagles, other than the Saints, who are in what looks to be unprecedented cap million. hell, like it's literally is like, as much over, as the cap is supposed to be. Yep. They're a hundred four over the cap right now. Philadelphia second. Um, and still paling in comparison but still a lot worse than pretty much everybody else other than the Saints going in with with uh 51 mil over the cap
0: that's yeah that's wild i Good i job. don't know what anyone else if the, if if report is not full of it if two teams called the Eagles and and i guess I, I don't think Houston would be one of them even if there is that possibility i don't think Houston would be calling them i think it's something like well, the Colts had a ton of cap space, so they have to be the, far and away the favorite, I guess. Because they if they can take Carson Wentz basically for free, even I would say, like, yeah, why not? Like, mm-hmm. Jacob Eason is not a serious player. Uh, the Rivers thing should not be entertained. Jacoby Brissett is not it either. I guess you guys, the Colts, maybe you can't do much better than this. And if someone's going to pay you draft picks to take it on, then I guess why not? But otherwise, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, – Maybe, maybe maybe some of these other teams, like yeah, the Jaguars or somebody, are are offering to just eat the contract to to shave off thirty mil from their cap space in in exchange for a second and a third or something.
1: Boy, the, the Jags would be really heat checking themselves, you know, because I mean they're, they're going to get Trevor Lawrence either way. Either way, but they're really kind of making making or having the makings of Trevor Lawrence really play on a high difficulty right right off the bus because you know like the offensive coordinator hires weren't particularly inspiring and. Um, you know, all all this and that. So I mean, a little little bit. Well, tough to be for, clear, to
0: whoever trades, whoever trades for, uh, if it's not Houston or if it's not Indianapolis that trades for Wentz, and if it is a salary cap thing, they could just cut them like the, the Browns did. Ah, uh, yes, that, that's true. Because so. eating that once they eat that money, they don't get a penalty for anything else. That's why if the Browns trade Odell Beckham, they have zero cap penalty. Uh, it's it's like if you get that Wentz contract, you can't, you
1: already eat it right there. So you can just cut him. It's not going to do anything additional. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Thank you for being our, our capologist in this conversation. Do you have anything else to add on to the Wentz situation or anything else before we sign off here? Uh,
0: not really. Go Chiefs.
1: You heard it here, folks. Go Chiefs. This is a completely neutral podcast. So, um, anywho. That's going to do it for us here for the Super Bowl edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast. We'll be back next week, of course, as we continue to get you ready for the upcoming NFL draft. But enjoy Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. Have a safe one, have a good one, and enjoy the game.
0: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming.